And I think people need to vote the NDP because we need to change. This is the only time, really, this is the perfect time. We have the IPCC report on climate change. We have all this wealth and wage inequality that's just affecting everybody. This is the moment to change. And I fear that the apathy and the just the, the, the hardness of life is going to prevent people from taking that shot. Welcome to the Ballot Box, featuring Sean McQuillan. Welcome back to the Cross Border Interview Podcast. My name is Christopher Brown, your host, and this is the Ballot Box, the online segment of the show where we talk about one thing and one thing only, elections. Uh, There is... Sources within the Liberal Party who have been talking to the major news outlets that says this is our last day before the 44th general election of Canada gets kicked off. So we are going to be doing a few things differently over the next 36 days, but we are still going to be bringing on candidates from across Canada to talk about their campaign, their party, but also them. And today is no exception. Today being the eve of the election call, we are going to be sitting down with Vancouver South NDP candidate Sean McQuillan. Uh, Sean is going to be with us in a few seconds and we will be jumping in and talking about that. But before I do do that, I want to make a, a mention that for those who have tuned in beforehand, as you notice, things have changed. We are preparing for the election. So we are going to be uh, showing a little bit more off to the side. Here is the writings that we're going to be watching down below is going to be the major news uh, during the week. And we are going to be having guests come on and candidates come on. And like I said, we have a great candidate coming in today. And that is the NDP candidate for Vancouver South, Sean McQuillan. Sean, thank you so much for doing this. Greatly appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. So, Sean, uh, I'm going to start off the same question with all my candidates that I have on is where's your sense of duty to serve come from? Uh, Where does my sense of duty to serve come from? Okay, Um, I think I just I'm one of those people where if I don't see something done, I kind of want it done myself. Uh, I work in the film industry. I work excessively long hours. I'm not no stranger to putting long hours and hard work in. And I'm always in a position where, you know, you, you see something needing done, you get it done. And I think I keep seeing what's going on, you know, in the world going on around me. And I, I think of how I could help make it better. And, you know, I, I know that my big push for everything that I'm doing here just comes from that desire to make things better around me. So I guess that's the desire Then I've got kids and I want them to have a great world. So that's, that's a big thing too, you know? Now you can give back in many different ways. You can give back through your nonprofit, through your work. Uh, I know that you uh, talked about in, in our pre-interview about childcare in the film industry, and we'll talk about that a little bit later, mm-hmm. but you've decided to do politics. You've decided to get involved politically. You ran in 2019 and you've put your name forward again for the upcoming, let's quote air quote that upcoming tomorrow's election. That isn't uh, going to happen. <laughs> that for sure is not going to happen. We're not denying it's going to happen, but everyone knows it's going to happen. Yeah, exactly. So you've decided to put your name for it once again. Why why go the political route? Why give back? Why serve in that capacity in a political realm? Well, it's funny, my my background, um, I work in the entertainment industry and uh, I found my background tends to uh, own itself to communicating ideas. And I find there's a lot of people in this world where they've got fantastic theory 
And there's a lot of people where they've got fantastic communication. The two don't always meet. And so we have these ideas that are wonderful and beautiful out in the world, but they're not being effectively communicated so everyone can understand them. And I look at this and I go, well, wow, people don't like the sound of this idea, but this idea makes sense when you look at the numbers. And I'm a really, really big numbers guy. And I'll get into it later when I'm talking about what, what like my vision is. But I think if we follow the numbers and follow like sound policy from those numbers, we can make a country where everyone has the ability to make a living and you know thrive. And I think right now, especially after COVID, we're finding this where people have lost so much and it's kind of not really talked about. You know, we're talking about the large wealth transfer of, you know, all of the extremely rich happening. And then the people who, you know, were on the bottom were held on by things like CERB. We haven't talked about the actual wealth that was lost by the middle class. People lost their homes. People lost things. And it's just kind of brushed under the rug. And people are just happy to be okay. But we need to be more than just happy with okay. We need to always be striving for better. And I'm worried about this whole, let's get back to normal. I don't think it's good enough. I want better than normal. I want to go back. This is the time to pivot. And so I think politics is like the place where I can go, wow, I want people with me. I want to communicate what I understand and get people with me to go for that better. Because if we listen to the people who just want the same, nothing is going to get better. And so that's, that's kind of where I'm pushing for so being better, doing better and pivoting comes, uh, you have many options to do that, whether it be conservative, liberal, uh, uh, Green Party, People's Party, Maverick Party, but you've chosen the NDP. What is it about the NDP that makes you believe that they are the best to make that change, to pivot the society that we are in, to help people out after this world pandemic that we've been in? Well, it's about priorities and it always has been with the NDP. You know, they come from a labor background and so do I, I'm in a union, right? And so as that, we come from a background where you believe that a single income should be able to support a family on a 40 hour work week. That's not the reality anymore. Some people with two incomes still aren't making enough to make it make the numbers make sense, which is why I always want to go back to those numbers. And, you know, I'll, I'll bring it up when I'm talking about Vancouver South, but they, they currently don't work that way. And so the NDP for me and, you know, even with the NDP, I want to push the NDP to go even further than they are currently in their policy. I think, you know, there's, there's you have to be bold to really make those changes. And but the NDP are the party that I see out of all the ones on the table doing that putting people's supports first, you know, and it's simple things that exist in other countries that should have existed in Canada all along. Things like pharmacare. And, you know, the liberals have touted, hey, we're going to start doing pharmacare. Look, we put 35 million over in PEI. That's 35 million over four years to increase a drug list. That is not ensuring that every person can walk up no matter what the condition is and get their drugs covered. You know, they're still paying out of pocket. They're still accessing a very small list that's subsidized. And there's people who are still going without. And so like things like that, you have to be bold and you can't do these half incremental measures. You have to do it all. And then when you put those bases in and you build people up first, the economy thrives. And, you know, that's that's the biggest thing people always forget. People on the bottom, us, the folks working, we're the ones who keep the economy going. When money is hoarded, it doesn't try, it doesn't go anywhere. And that just makes things worse. So putting that money at the bottom, putting that money in the people that really, you know, can make a difference. That's why I'm with the NDP. 
you've mentioned a few things there that I want to dive into, but I'm going to ask you the, 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 the million dollar question that I, I listened to an interview with yourself and a, a member of parliament for Vancouver center, I believe Leah, the question uh, that you hate being asked all the time about pharmacare. How like, are you going to pay, pay for, it? for it? Yeah. Okay. I was just trying to catch you there. It's great. Uh, <laughs> but it's funny because there was a parliamentary budget officer report in 2017. This is four years ago. That shows how it saves money overall. And the savings included in that report don't even take into like all the extra stuff that's going on. So that's just on physical cost savings. That's on just reducing, you know, bargaining ability for drug pricing. That's on distribution. That's on how the money is allocated. That kind of savings. Individual personage savings of people who aren't paying out of pocket. That. That doesn't go into like the societal savings where people are actually taking the medication that keeps them alive instead of ending up in a hospital where you're spending, you know, 15, let's say on the high end, $200 a month on someone's prescriptions. That is a lot cheaper than a $7,500 a night hospital bed, especially with some of these conditions where you're in there for months because you did not take your medications. Like That's bad fiscal responsibility if you're just going to hope it goes away. This preventative care is the number one way to prevent any kind of extra damage that ends up costing more. I work in, like it's again, I work in the film industry. If we tell them it's going to cost this much up front and we tell them if you give us an extra guy, you give us this extra thing, it's going to go well. And they say, you know what? How about you try it without? And all of a sudden we've got 300 crew on a two hours of overtime costing $10,000 every six minutes. Which do you think costs more than the three or four or $500 a person wage persons? It's like, it's, it's a no brainer. And so I look at it really in that structure a lot of the time of where the numbers make sense and <laughs> we're not doing the right things. I love talking policy, but I could probably talk about policy for a good two, three hours, but I want to talk about your writing before we get into more policies here. Okay. Okay. Vancouver. okay. Vancouver South, because we have so many things that we want to talk about for policy. And I want, because you seem like a very engaging guy. You seem like a guy who likes to talk and I love it because like, it would be, be a really bad interview if you didn't like to talk and it would be a very quick show, but let's talk about Vancouver South for a second. Vancouver South has been represented by the liberals in probably the, the last, since 2006 by uh, the Vancouver South has been represented by the liberals since 2006, if I'm not mistaken, by the liberals. And for one moment in time, the conservatives, what gives you the uh, motivation, the goal to say, you know what, guys in Vancouver South, enough is enough. We need to say, let's send Ottawa a message and elect the NDP because we are not getting what we deserve in Vancouver South. And we need to change it by electing the NDP and myself. Well, Vancouver South is a really prime example for a lot of this in that the median wage around Vancouver South is about $72,000 before taxes or $59,000 after taxes. And the median single detached home is around $1.4 million there. Um, they just built a bunch of affordable housing. This is a new affordable housing a few years back. And we just had a new announcement with Harjeet about more affordable housing there. But the required income for that affordable housing is between 80 and $130,000. So the cost per month is $2,100 to $2,500 a month, right? That's without utilities or strata fees or anything. So you, you put that in, it's about 2,800 to 3,000 a month. So I'm sure you're aware Ideally, economists have always said you need to spend 25% of your income on housing. That's utilities. That's everything. That's all in, right? 
Yeah. In order to do that at their cost of a hundred of a, of a, you know, 20 to $3,000 a month, you would need a wage of about 135,000. The median age, a wage is 72,000 before taxes, not even after this is all after taxes too. You would need a median income after taxes of 134,000 to afford the affordable housing to be within that bracket. So it, there's obviously a lot of things that are not working out in Vancouver South. And, you know, people are okay. They're making it by, but they're not thriving. There's a lot of renters. There's a lot of people. And, you know, I'm going to tell you about Vancouver South. At least they have good older co-ops. There are older co-ops that don't cost that much, where a lot of people are able to raise families, are able to do so on a teacher's income. And I'm really, really thankful. That's the community that I really, really appreciate about Vancouver South more than anything. And I want that community to not only stay alive because their leases are all running out in the next 10 years, I want there to be emphasis on creating more, on creating far more affordable housing along those lines where people can actually afford it. You know, there's, uh, I, as I said, I work in childcare. I've got a childcare nonprofit where um, I basically am trying to create um, my wife and I, my wife's spearheading it. I can't take all the credit um, where um, we're trying to create um, childcare spaces for people who work outside nine to five because in the film industry we work 12 plus hours. We found out through our research that Vancouver South is actually one of the worst childcare accessible areas in the entire lower mainland. And so people are, you know, and the transit is terrible too. I know that's more of a city problem, but it's, it's like, we have no childcare infrastructure. The housing is too expensive. You are busing with very bad transit in and out of your riding to work out of your riding. It's not really much of a life. You know, it's becoming a place where people can go home, but then they have to go elsewhere for work. They have to go elsewhere for this. And I really want to create an emphasis on that community where you can thrive in it. And I think we've lost that over the years as this wage and wealth and equality has just got exasperated. You, you talked about uh, daycare. Let's, let's talk about the recent announcement that the federal government's been rolling out of $10 a day daycare. Uh, it is a first step in a long-weighted step that the Liberal government has promised since, I believe, let's check the calendar, 2006, if I'm not mistaken, or if not, even before then. 97, I think, was the original. Yeah. <laughs> That's, uh, that, that, 2006 is when I I, start, I I remember it, because the Paul Martin, that was his big thing that kept Jack Layton. But um, how... How is that playing in your writing? Because people want affordable daycare, but is it government-sponsored daycare that they want? How do we get to a, uh, in your opinion, because you run a nonprofit for film industry people to have uh, child care, how do we get to a, a adequate system that allows people to have proper access to affordable child care in today's world, because if you're paying, and I'm just looking at the numbers here, $2,100 to $2,500 a day, a month in just rent alone, yeah. you don't have $10 a day potentially to afford childcare as well. Perfect world, we'd have universal childcare where it wouldn't cost anything and the government would pick it up, but that it's $10 a day right now. How do you, as the NDP candidate for Vancouver South, say, okay, it's a good first step, but we need to go further if we even need to go further? Oh, absolutely. And so the biggest problem we have is right now, current childcare models only work for nine to five. So if you have a nine to five job, an institutionalized job generally, um, you know, and it's all based around generally what is traditionally women's work, um, which is 
it's sexist in its own right there. Um, we only have structure for those. Yet the working reality for one in four Canadians is that they work outside of the hours of nine to five. And I will say in Vancouver South, we have a very large Filipino community and they don't work traditional work hours. And a lot of them, if it wasn't for their family like units, they would have very few options. And not everyone has those family units. Like I have two children. I don't have any parents. My parents died of cancer well over a decade ago. I don't have any supports outside of the ones that I pay for. And the supports that I pay for don't even exist, which is why I had to build them because there is nothing for people outside of nine to five. And so this is something where not only is it great that we're, okay, great, we're going to start putting money. I love the announcements. Katrina Chen from the BCNDP has been working tirelessly on this. I respect her greatly. She's done a lot and she's taken a lot of meetings with me and understands that there is a huge lack in infrastructure for those. Since then, we've now approved things like 24-hour licensing, uh, longer shift licensing, but there's still legislation on a municipal, provincial, et cetera level that needs to be, uh, needs to be altered to allow for this, to allow it to uh, accept care for that long. And ECEs in this, they don't want to work those hours necessarily, or also people are worried that that's not what's best for the children. And so my answer to that is we need to evolve into a culture of workplace integrated childcare, where you have a lot of like, if you're coming into a place, you're Amazon, you're building a giant place in downtown Vancouver, where's your childcare plan? You, if you have to put three trees and a shrub, whenever you build a new house in the city of Vancouver, why don't large businesses, when they come in, have to have plans for their employees? So we need to ensure that these are integrated with their workplaces, with their with their place, uh, with what they're doing with their lives, so that they take their kids with them. You go visit your kids at lunch. You go see them. You make them a part of your working community. And the reason for that is because it's what's healthiest. We come from Canada, a line of residential schools, for God's sake. And the last thing we want is for our children to be taken away and raised by someone else. We need to bring families into the workplace. We need to make work a family affair. And that's my opinion on this. And I think I really want to build more places like that. So how do you do that? How do you bring it to a national level? Because what you're talking about in Vancouver South might be different compared to Toronto Centre or out in Avalon in Newfoundland. How do you bring it? How do you bring a change, a systematic change in the way we look after our children through allowing people to work to a national level, because that seems like a big step. And while $10 a day yet again is a first step, I still think it's too much that people have to pay $10 for proper, adequate uh, ability to even look after children. But that's me. How do you bring it to a national level? And how does the NDP see this issue? Now, the NDP sees this issue a little bit differently than me because I have a little different knowledge of it. The NDP fully support the $10 day. They fully want to make it expanded. They want to build it. And as I said, fantastic first step. I am not complaining about that. I am just saying right now, we are at a once in a generation uh, amount of funding for childcare. And right now, the working rally, like I said, one in four Canadians do not work traditional hours. So we need to make sure that while we're building this $10 day, we simultaneously encourage and build different structures that work for shift workers, you know, tradespeople, anyone, nurses even do not have. Nurses who we owe so much to right 
right now don't have proper childcare infrastructure. And so I, I think that's, that's, that's what I, I it's, it's to bring it nationally. It's really going to have to be a push on education, on childcare psychology, you know, follow lots of uh, professionals work to go, you know what, the best thing we can do is make everything a family affair. And I think we've, we've lived in a society where we push them to the side, we separate them, but we, I'm, I'm of the, you know, I'm a family man. I want to bring them back in. Um, I want to talk about Vancouver South and the residents of Vancouver South. Uh, any candidate uh, worth the dollar will talk to residents and will talk to the people that they need to get to vote for them. Um, what are you hearing at the doorsteps? What are you hearing from your neighbors? And I know with COVID-19, it's a little bit tricky to go door knocking in the traditional sense, but you were probably trying to reach out to residents, whether it be uh, online through social media and all that. What are you hearing from the people of Vancouver South and what are their issues that they need and have or they need and want addressed in Ottawa? Now, I'm lucky in that I did run in 2019, even though it was a very quick run for me. Uh, I, I'm very lucky that I ran because I got a lot of door knocking in that year. And this year with COVID, it's going to be touch and go, depending on how things are, about how much I can actually do physical door knocking. So for me, it's going to be a lot of getting them a piece of information and that information connects them to me. I will accept phone calls from every last person in the riding if they, if they want to take the time to do it. But from what I heard in 2019 and from what I've just been hearing online and through the communications that I've received, uh, it always comes back down to affordability. It, it really, really does. And, you know, affordability comes in so many shapes and forms. I remember one of the first people I ever talked to when I was door knocking in 2019, his name was Jason. He was on disability, had a workplace accident, didn't really get to see a lot of people. I was probably, you know, he doesn't get a lot of door knocks. So we sat and chatted with him for a bit and he was really bringing to light the disability amounts. You know, you just, they're, they're insufficient. And then I ended up meeting some other people who are on, you know, old age security, you know, oh, they're this different system, that different system. And it really brought to light how our patchwork of systems doesn't take numbers into consideration. It does not take cost of living, cost of housing, anything. It's the minimum. And then this minimalism is making people suffer and usually end up costing the system more in either hospital stays, more in, you know, okay, now we have to put money into structures like food banks. And, you know, food banks, I love them as systems, but they are policy failures. When people are forced to go there, that means we aren't doing something right as a government. People, that should never have to be a staple for people. And for many, it is. And so, you know, I, there's been talks about things like getting a guaranteed basic livable income. And I think that is something that is worth pursuing, but I, I, I caution that it is not a catch-all. I think it is a great tool to build a baseline, but it should not replace all existing programs because equity for things like disability, if you replace disability and everyone has UBI, they're still at the bottom. I'm about equity. I'm about everyone trying to get, you know, at least being able to be uh, on some same level. And so those supports for me, I think are super important to maintain, even if Canada were to pursue something, pursue something like a, a UBI or, or anything like that. But there are inklings of that as a solution. But once again, I'll, I'll talk about it in my vision later. It's, it, for me, it's about really addressing wage and wealth inequality. Let's talk about the elephant in the room. COVID-19 has changed the name of the game when it comes to 
everything in society, not just politics, but everything has changed because of this uh, world pandemic. Uh, we have seen people, like you said in the beginning of the interview, lose their homes. We see people lose their jobs. We see people who are struggling day to day. What is the NDP's plan to ensure that everyone gets a fair shot at a recovery, that everyone gets ahead, that everyone does not get left behind? Because I am seeing here in Calgary, and when I talk to people back in Ontario from my home province, even out in Nova Scotia, which I have friends and family in, they say the same thing. People are struggling and people need help. And with the COVID-19, uh, I want to say, funds that the Liberal government has introduced back at the beginning of the pandemic that are coming to an end here in October. Surprise, surprise, they pushed them back six weeks for an election, mm -hmm. but they are coming to an end. How does the NDP see helping everyone get ahead and get on their feet again after this massive pandemic that we've been just through. So for when it comes to NDP policy and my own personal views, how it goes on with this, it's about creating a type of economy that doesn't rely entirely on external forces. And by that, I mean, right now we are a resource extraction economy. That is the number one thing we have in this country. And it has bit us in the long run because we have basically subsidized a lot of these larger companies and the profits are taken out of the country. You know, we are not building a product of our own to export. We are giving away raw resources and in many cases, even buying it back when it's been used. So I think we need to make sure that we transfer a lot of the wealth that was transferred away during the pandemic. Billionaires made, what was it, 75 billion in Canada? Maybe more than that, I think now is the figure. That's only what we know about. This is always like, this is the great thing about the reports is the reports are what we can find. Creative accounting hides so much. I cannot emphasize that enough. And so it's important that we close these tax loopholes. We get money back. You know, I, it's important that we start taxing the wealthy because they were okay. We were not. We need to work for a more equitable society, and it will end up improving everyone's lives, not just the people on the bottom. This isn't a transfer back. If when everyone's life is improved, everyone, even the people at the top's life is improved, and they don't even know it. Like This whole wealth hoarding thing does not work. We've tried it. We've gone through it. Reaganism, it does not work. And so I think building uh, new drop structures like transitioning to a green economy as well, you know, getting out of the climate crisis, we can go into that as well. It's, it's important that that's where we put our money. We nationalize some of it. We keep our money in Canada. And, you know, we're not constantly exporting our profits. I, I want to talk about a word that you just mentioned there. And I want to get what uh, your official uh, like a definition of the word you say you you're looking for a more equitable society what does that mean at the end of the day what does that mean because what you say and what someone here in calgary says about equ equitability might be completely different so for you what would it be for me an equitable society is one where everyone earning around the median income can have their own home where they can basically thrive they can afford vacations. They can do things with their life. They aren't just making it by. And right now, the way society is, we are all just making it by. Six-figure income earners are living paycheck to paycheck. 
it's it's like that's you know it's easy to get angry at people who are making you know 50 or 60,000 dollars more than you but their problems are not this are, are not any different than yours you know that's that's the great catch it's a, oh it's the guy just above me just above me just above me we don't realize that how much because our minds human minds don't actually comprehend large sums of money when we talk about billions it is insane that individuals have even accumulated money to that level. It is just not, it is not a thing that should have ever happened. And so we really need to do something about it. And this, you know what, you know what, maybe we'll do something about it. Or eventually we need to be bold. We need to be fast because the slower we are, the more money's hit. The slower we are, the more they're able to deny we need to be very quick and concise about this because right now, the longer we drag things out, the worse it's going to get. Thank you for answering that because I always like to uh, dive into some keywords that people usually like to throw around because sometimes it can be misconstrued or there could be a statement or uh, what you're actually trying to say is a little bit different, but thank you for answering that question about equability. If I can speak properly this morning, um, I want to talk about um, the climate crisis because you brought it up and I, I wasn't going to talk about it, but it is a su subject that seems to be really big right now in Vancouver yeah. with a lot of forest fires that are going on. Right. I'm, not to, I'm not trying to be glib about that. And please don't take it that I am. But BC is on fire. There yeah. are, I, I see on Twitter, people posting videos of fires that are literally outside their door. Um, is the liberal government doing enough to address climate change? God, I believe? No. no, I don't even have to wait till you finish that sentence. No, not even slightly. No, 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 no. Um, and I honestly, I think we have to be even bolder than we currently are, even in NDP policy. I will, I will oh, wow. straight up see because right now the IPCC report came out this week. I don't know if you read it. I actually went through the whole bloody thing because it would just, it scared me. You know, I'm, I'm a little younger to be doing this. I'm 35. I've got two kids under two and I think about their future and what's going on here. This whole net zero by 2050 isn't even the minimum required. We already know we're gonna get a 1.5 to two degrees Celsius increase in global temperature by 2050 if we don't do something within the next 10 years. So this net zero 50, 2050 is, is just, it's not soon enough. You know, Justin Trudeau, he's gonna be 79 years old in 2050. His father died at 80. You know, like it's, it's like, he's not gonna have to deal with the repercussions if he doesn't do something now, but I very likely will. I think it's far more important to me. And so I think we need to be very bold. We cannot, we need to transition immediately. I'm from Alberta, you're living in Alberta right now. I know how important the oil industry is there, but it's not oil that's important. It's security for your family, it's income. Yes, people should be earning $150,000 out there. And the only way they know how to do it is in oil. So what if they earn that kind of money or you know, developing some kind of green energy? What if they earn that kind of money in something else that helps the, the climate, uh, the climate change uh, situation? Sorry, I'm missing my words right now. But it's like it's not about what it is. Nobody really cares about 
oil as a product. They care about, you know, the ability to provide a living for their family. So if we are able to provide a structure so that you can still provide a living for your family, but it's also tackling the climate crisis, why the hell aren't we doing it right now? Excuse my language. It's like this is it's an emergency and we are not treating it like one. So I, I got to follow up with that because uh, yet again, uh, I am being the devil's advocate here because like you said, I am based in Alberta. And if I did not ask this question, I think every Albertan would find a pitchfork and try to track me down as quickly as possible. You stop the extraction of oil of natural resources here in Alberta. Prices go up. The price of gas will go up. The price of heating your home goes up. How do you balance that? Price, prices will go up because we're not extracting our resources. And I would be in favor of like, let's let's build a refinery here. Let's build the refinery here and actually make our own product. It does not seem that hard. Every other country can do it. Why can't we? That's my rant for the day. I apologize. Thanks for coming to my TED talk. But how do we extract our resources, build it here, but also look at that environmental impact because people are still driving cars that are based on a gas, based on natural resources. Not everyone has uh, the money to buy an electric car right now. So how do you balance that as a party, but also as Canadians, as the NDP to say, okay, we need to sort of do both, but at the same time, we need to worry about the environment a lot more right now. It's a great question. And so I agree with you entirely that, um, I mean, I, I live in Vancouver now, but I am from Alberta. And right now I know that we're shipping our raw product down to Washington state to a refinery and they ship it right back to us and sell it us to our dollar 70 a liter right now in the lower mainland, if you can believe it, it's, it's killing us, you know? And right now the way current green policy that people, especially from the green party are pursuing is it punishes people for using these products with high costs, with high taxes, with things like that. But that's, you know, that's just a, that's something that only the wealthy can afford to do. You know, right now, if you're poor, you are polluting, not because you have a choice, but because that's the cheapest option currently available. Right. We just don't have any other things. Now I will say disproportionately the rich by far pollute far more per, per person than say the, uh, the average person. But let's, I'm, I'm not saying I'm blaming climate change and poor people. I'm just saying right now we don't have choices because they are the cheapest. Right. And so when it comes to that transition, it's not a turn the pipes off thing. It's a, we're not expanding current productions. What we do is we take that money where we would do the expansion of things like the TMX, uh, the, uh, that wasted, wasted money. And we immediately start building other infrastructure. You know, we sell a lot of our power from BC down South and a lot of our power does not come from, uh, it comes from a more natural, like a hydrodynamics, things like that, right? And we still sell that power. We're still, it is still a product that we can sell as a country. And so we need to find different ways to do that, to still continue doing that. And Alberta needs to start looking into other industries. It needs to grow its tech industry, which it had its ability to until that project was shut down when the UCP took over. There was a huge tech building going to be put in with the NDP, and then it got shut down. And also, I work in the film industry. The film industry is ready to burst there. We are full in BC. And as much as we're trying to expand, Alberta has some beautiful natural things BC doesn't. And it's a great place. There are many industries that need to expand in that province. You know, it's not all about just energy and resource extraction. So 
I'm not saying turn the pipes off. I'm saying we need to transition and we need to transition fast. You know, that's, that's how we have to do it. And that's going to require a lot of money. And I, I get that. But right now, the way people view money, we're going to spend $750 billion on market liquidity after COVID-19. Well, $750 billion can do a sure as a hell of a lot to transition us immediately. But that's all about priorities and political will. You know, it's not about where, you know, how much money we're spending a lot of the time. That's the big lie that happens a lot of the time. Oh, they're spending all this money. Well, I'm sorry, fiat currency does not work like a household. It's not a finite amount in the same way. And how we spend it, where we spend it is what matters. And right now, I, as much as the liberals are doing a lot of announcements for we're putting money into this or putting money into that, they're putting money into all the wrong places. You have to be more strategic. You have to be more precise. They're not following the numbers. And that it, money for money's sake is useless. Agreed. Um, for my listeners and to my viewers who are just tuning in right now, because we have been getting a bit of a following, uh, we are sitting down with Vancouver South NDP candidate Sean McQuillan. Uh, Sean, uh, thank you so much for doing this. I want to turn to life as an MP. Life as an MP in Ottawa, and I know you are running. This is your second time running for uh, to be the next MP for Vancouver South. How do you envision yourself representing the people of Vancouver South? And I mean that by saying, how do you envision yourself representing the people who don't even vote for you? You're always going to represent people who don't vote for you, no matter who you are. Like right now, the way anyone's elected, you're never getting more than 30 percent of the vote, maybe, you know, 40, maybe if you're lucky, things like that, right? Really, it's not about converting people to voting for you. It's about representing them well. And no matter who you vote for, I'm of the opinion, everyone, and I mean everyone, just wants a better quality of life. And if I feel that I know how to deliver a better quality of life for the people who live in my riding, the people who live in the entire country, and that's why they should vote for me, or that's why they should support me, then I need to get that message across. And I need to like show them the numbers because that's what I'm about. Because right now, a lot of people give empty platitudes, but they're not following what the median uh, income is, what the cost of living is, et cetera, and how you make those things balance. You can't, I don't know, I, I listened to Dave Ramsey, I don't know if you're familiar. He always says this thing, you can't earn your, you can't, you know, you can't earn your way out of debt. You can't just keep throwing money at stuff. You have to strategize. You have to be very precise. And I think I have the ability to do that. And I think that's how I can represent people the best. You are the newly elected MP on September 20th. The night of September 20th, it is officially called that you are the MP designate for Vancouver South. I, I want to know priority number one from you, because I think there's a lot of times that people get elected, they go off to Ottawa and you don't hear from them again, particularly here in Alberta. So I, I'm not sure if that's the, if not sure if that's the case in Vancouver South. But if you are the newly elected uh, MP for Vancouver South on September 21st, if the election is called tomorrow, what is priority number one for you? Honestly, before I even get to Ottawa, it's about building a base in Vancouver South. It's about connecting with every community leader, everyone who cares about the community and ensuring that they have a voice in what I'm doing. You know, I work as a chair in a lot of committees in my union and things like that. And at the end of the day, what you are is you're a voice for the will of them. 
And you know what? I have as many of my own ideas as I do that I want to pursue, but I will take the smartest idea in the room. I'm not so precious that everything has to come from me. If someone in my community knows a solution that's better than mine, I will take it and I will use it and I will make it happen because that's what you need to do. That's your job. There's always going to be someone who knows more about something than you do. And so connecting with those people immediately so that I can do what's right by them is what's important. So what is important to you? What is important to you that you would want to advocate for in Ottawa? You talk about affordability and I I appreciate that, but you will be a caucus of the NDP and that will be a priority for them. What will you advocate for as the next MP for Vancouver South in Ottawa that people in Vancouver South can say, you know what, we we got this because of Sean. We got this new program. We got this new uh, infrastructure project. We got this new transit system in Ottawa, in Vancouver South because of what Sean has done. Now, I, I wouldn't say that what I'm going to focus on when I work as an MP is going to be an individual project, like a vanity one. I'm going to work on the root causes that are what, uh, what cause trouble in people's lives. So as much as I can say, you know what, I'm going to make sure we get universal pharmacare, which I do. I do strongly believe in that. Or I'm going to say, you know what, I'm going to make sure that we find a way to tie uh, 30% of all housing in any area to the median income. So it's affordable for a percentage of people. Or I'm going to say my group project's going to be, um, you know, I'm going to make sure that we stop uh, you know, subsidies to fossil fuels, and that's going to be my spearhead. You know what? That's great. I, I can be a part of a lot of big projects. And as much as vanity projects are great for people to remember someone, what I care about is fixing the root problems. I care about that hard work that nobody likes to talk about, where you take those numbers, you crunch them, and you say, hey, this is how this is going to help you. You know, if I put this support in for you, you're going to feel this in the next five years. You're going to feel this in the next 20. You know, it's that long, hard work that actually shapes a country. Because right now, what I find in elections and generally in life is people go, here's my pet project. Watch me shine. And that's great. And all. I, I can do that. But when my heart, what I really want to do is fix the root problems of society so that we can all live a better life in the long run. Um. This is going to be an interesting election, like we said, because of COVID-19. COVID-19 has changed the name of the way that the pandemic, the, the way politics is done in this country. Getting out to the voters is going to be hard for everyone because it seems like we are heading into a fourth wave. I hope we do not head into a fourth wave, but yeah. we, it, with all speculations and even the chief medical officer of Canada saying we are on the cusp of a fourth wave, here we are. Why should people put their trust in the NDP in the next, this upcoming election? I think because we've had decades and decades of the same. We've had conservatives or liberals steering the ship for a long period of time. And right now, all the policies and everything they're talking about is steering the ship in the exact same direction. That direction got us to where we are. I'm not talking about COVID. I'm talking about the inequities. We had the IPCC report on climate change. They were always there. All this wealth and wage inequality that's just affecting everybody. This is the moment to change. And that's the direction. And I fear that the apathy and the just the the hardness of life is going to prevent people from taking that shot. And so I really want to hope, and I really want to work 
towards people taking that shot. And I think in this election, in the next, in the whatever happens, we have to pivot and pivot hard. And if we don't, we are going to get more of the same. And we are going to keep this ship in this collision course. And I think this is the time to shift it. And I think they will get that with the NDP. And then going to a more local issue, why talk to the people of Vancouver South right now? You have two minutes. Why should people reach out, contact you, get involved, but also vote for you on X date, whenever the election is actually called? Well, I mean, I don't ever like to speak ill of others, but it's, I, uh, in prep for this election, I, I did some, uh, I did a lot of research and uh, I watched a lot of videos on ourcommons.ca and I'm going to say Vancouver South doesn't have a voice. It does not have a voice right now at all in Ottawa. Harjeet Sajin, I mean, great. He's a minister of defense. Uh, he does his work in there. He's a nice guy. I cannot say anything ill of him in that regard. What he votes on, his voting records, they are not things that help people. They are, not, they are whipped votes. They are all just along the lines of what the Liberal Party wants. They are not, he isn't, when he speaks, they aren't speaking for anything beyond maybe some marginal communities that support him, which are great. I want to support those communities as well. But you have to take everyone into consideration in your area. You have to speak for everybody. And I think right now, if you were to vote for me, if, if you were a member of Vancouver South, I would listen. I would listen and I would go say something about it because that's literally my job. And I don't see that happening right now. You know, as many ideas and wonderful thoughts that I have, I cannot possibly know everything everyone is going through. And being there and trying to convey their messages is something that I will work tirelessly on. Um, uh, For those who want to get involved in your campaign, how can they reach out and get in contact with you? Because like you said, like we've said during the interview, uh, this election is going to be a different election. It's not going to be the traditional door knocking for some ridings for some areas. And like Mm -hmm. you said, you, you have a family to support. So you're going to be working as well. It's not like you can take time off and, go do uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week election without getting paid. So how can people reach out and get involved with uh, your campaign and learn a little bit more about you? Now, uh, this is great. I've never, I never really was a big social media guy until as of late. And uh, I'm actually being really active on social media. You can find me on Twitter at Lucky Sean, L-U-C-K-Y-S-E-A-N. I've got a TikTok where I do videos on topics. I know that sounds ridiculous. I know people make fun of the NDP for being on TikTok, but it's a great platform. I do one minute things on here's Pharmacare, here's UBI. I'm going to interrupt you here. It's not that I'm making fun of TikTok. I don't know how to use TikTok. I feel so old when people talk about TikTok and they're like, yeah, I have TikTok. I'm like, I, sure. Okay. Sure. I, I just learned Instagram. I, I, I honestly, I was on the exact same boat. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm only 35, but still it, that's even old for TikTok. Let's not lie. And so it's, it was something that I was a little hesitant to get into, but it feels really organic. It feels super organic to hop into. And so, you know, if you just want to watch little videos, I share them all over. I've got the Vancouver South uh, uh, Facebook page. I do a lot of interviews with MPs. I've talked to Matthew Green, Leah Gazin. I just did a thing on the drug crisis with another candidate, Audrey McKinnon over in Caribou, Prince George. Um, I want to talk about the issues. That's important to me. Uh, But like I said, my long-term goal on top of all these issues is addressing the root problem for them. And that's something I don't think anyone, focuses enough on. And that's what I really want to get into. 
Um, but yeah, contact me on social media, reach out to me by email. Um, I will have a website, seanmcquillan.ndp.ca. Donate. I know everyone asks for money, but this is the problem is it takes money to run a campaign. I ran a campaign very quick last year on $8,000. That was it. $8,000. And I got more than 8,000 votes. So that's, you know, based off your money, I definitely spend it well. So it's get out there and try and do something. Get out there. If you can call for me, door knock, just comment on my stuff or donate, please do. Uh, I'll provide a link and all that stuff later on for you. Well, actually, I, I beat you to the punch because ah, you uh, did. Sean's <laughs> Facebook uh, links to his uh, to donate to his campaign, links to his uh, Twitter, Instagram, not his TikTok because I oh, do I not should put my TikTok on there. Okay, great, I'll do that. <laughs> Uh, are in the show notes below. So please check them out because uh, like Sean said, he is very active on Twitter and uh, he does share some good things. So please, 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 if you're in Vancouver South or even a supporter of the NDP or want to learn more about uh, Sean's campaign, follow him because you will not be sort of, uh, uh, sad that you did. Um, <laughs> John, I want to thank you for doing this. Uh, I, I love sitting down with candidates who are running and talking policy, and I could probably talk for four hours with you about the root causes of affordability and pharmacare and climate crisis, but let's be honest, people tune out probably in after the first hour, so I try to keep them within the hour. But, Sean, thank you so much for doing this. This has been a pleasure of mine. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate it. So for my listeners, I want to thank everyone for tuning in. Like I said, Sean's links to his Facebook page, all the social media accounts will be in the show notes. So please check them out. And I also want to mention that tomorrow, Sunday, if an election is called, if Justin Trudeau does make that wintry walk up to uh, Rideau Hall, we will be covering it live at 7 p.m. every night during the election. That's right, 7 p.m. every night. As long as I have a breath in my body with uh, treatments that are going on with radiation and chemo, I will be doing live updates with candidates like Sean. Uh, we have another candidate sitting down for the NDP in British Columbia later on next week as well, once we sort out the date. So please, please, please tune in. I look forward to having conversations like I just did with Sean with other candidates from across the political spectrum, because that's what's happening in this world right now. People are not communicating, and I hope I hope I hope people start talking to each other like we used to before the rise of social media and the trolls that are out there. So without mm -hmm. further ado, I want to thank everyone for tuning in. Greatly appreciated. Have yourself an excellent rest of the day and uh, just keep keep talking because that's what we need to do here. Anyway, guys, I'm Chris Brown, Crossboard Interview Podcast. See you back here tomorrow, 7 p.m. The Ballot Box was produced and edited by Miranda Brown and Associates Incorporated.